Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Ridgeview. We're so glad you decided to join us uh, today. My name is Alex Barrett. I'm the, the lead pastor, and we are on week two of a new series that we launched last week called From True uh, to Real. And the idea is how do we take uh, principles in the scripture and move them from just understanding and knowledge and facts and ideas, but how do we actually move them into practice, into implementing them uh, into our life? And uh, this past week, uh, my daughter and her friend and Sam and I went to Universal Studios, and there's nothing quite like trying to understand the difference from uh, falsehood and reality than seeing a movie set at work. And if you've ever been to Universal Studios, it's actually fascinating. Uh, But you spend uh, a lot of the trip doing different rides, and a lot of what happens at Universal Studios is you put on like 3D glasses and you see a screen and then... The, the ride moves and it feels like you are actually in this scene. And we were on the Transformers ride. And if you've seen Transformers movies, it's pretty fascinating. And you put the, the glasses on and we had the, the front row and there's steam coming and we're moving and we're getting chased by Decepticons and uh, Optimus Prime is trying to help us. And, you know, I'm all into it. And I've got just three, three girls and me, you know, and I'm like, this is awesome. And hold on for dear life. And all of a sudden, uh, announcement comes, please, um, no children sitting in, in you know, your lap. And I'm trying to ignore it. It's like, we're, we're in the middle of a battle, you know, transformer battle. And I don't have time for these announcements. And they say it again, please, no children sitting, you know, in, in laps. And I'm like, somebody grab the kid, get them in their own seat before the moment is, is ruined. And all of a sudden the, the lights come on and they stop the ride. And then we are literally, with all the lights on, moved backwards through the whole ride and we go back to the start. And during that whole time, the screen is off, the special effects are coming, but there's no screen, you don't have your 3D glasses, and it's like, this is, this is it. I saw behind the scenes, and I'm never going on that ride again. (laughs) No, in fact, I got a free pass to get into the front of the line, I went right after, and it was awesome. But there was something to be said when I saw behind the scenes, I saw everything that was going on, it it took away some of uh, the fascination and and the allure of, of that ride. And what I've come to realize in life is that oftentimes we approach God uh, like this, where uh, we, we think something is real and we have this idea in our head, but, but really uh, we're just going through the motions and there's some special effects sometimes in our life and there seems like there's some stuff that's going on that's powerful, but the rest of the time we just look around unimpressed. And that's what the Christian life feels like at times. Like we're full of ideas, but we're unimpressed. It, it doesn't hit us with real life. It's, it's almost like we, we come to God with certain things and he helps us and then we, we move on with life. Well, if you're new to following Christ, if you're investigating what it means to live the Christian life, it's actually central to everything. It is the most real that you could experience. In fact, there isn't a reality that exists outside of the reality of walking with the living God. It is the most real and it's the most true in one. And so this series, the, the tagline is moving faith from the head to the heart. The heart is what guides us. It's what leads us and directs us. But most of the time, our concept of God is caught in the head, in our brain, in the sphere of ideas. It's conceptual. But in reality, it should drive us forward. And last week, we talked about the invitation that we have from God through Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, and he was fully God, and he was fully man. And that made it possible, even though we have sin, to connect back to God. And we talked about the invitation that, that God has given us. And it's the most important invitation that any of us could receive. 
the living God who made us, who invites us back into relationship with us. And the theme of the book of 1 John, and that's what we're working through, and I, I encourage you last week to buy the scripture journal, and if you haven't, it's still not too late. You can still work through it, but the theme of this series is working through 1 John, and John, the, the author, is wanting us to really get this, this idea of, of a living God that wants to know us, who loves us, and, and wants to guide us, and that's the invitation we talked about last week, and if you missed it, you can find it on our YouTube page, on our podcast. This week, we're talking about a getting real with sin. That's the title of today, getting real with sin. A sin is something that we, we all experience on an ongoing basis. We experience in our life because we do sin. We experience in our life because others sin. We also experience it just in the world because it's been broken by sin. You see the devastation of what happens in our world, even like in Turkey with natural disasters and the lives lost because of just the brokenness of our world. Even in things like that, you see the effects of rebellion. You see the effects of sin. And so how do we make sense out of this, this loving God and this living God who wants to know us in the middle of a world marred by sin and in the middle of our lives that can be marred by sin for decisions that we've made, decisions that others have made that have impacted us? And so the good news about this living God that invites us in a relationship, he gives us his word, which is alive and it is real. And as we live it out, it changes us from the inside out. And so today... Uh, this is like what I would call a power-packed sermon, not because of my words or my ideas, but because as you read passages of Scripture specific that talk about sin, we're going to shine light in an area that, that most of us, you know, we shy away from. Our culture actually has a problem talking about evil, even though we experience it. Our culture has a problem talking about sin, even though we experience it. And so the best thing about the Christian life is we don't have to play games we don't have to deal with things and then just turn off our brain or check out and then try to figure out life on our own. God helps us, but he defines things and he gets real and, and, and that's what we have the opportunity to do this morning to get, to get real with this concept of, of sin. So what I wanna do is I wanna start where part of where we left off last week talking about this invitation to fellowship and then talk about how in that context, sin really interrupts and disrupts that fellowship from being able to occur. So let's follow up last week. This is 1 John 1, 3 through 4, 4, and it says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Uh, that's talking about Christ. So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So the focus, fellowship with God, fellowship with his Son, fellowship with us, the amount or the, the, the allowance of community that can happen. And then the conclusion of verse four, this fellowship, knowing God, being able to relate to him, being able to have real community because of that possibility, because of that reality, there's a joy that you can experience that you can't find anywhere else. So with that context of, of fellowship, um, I wanna define uh, fellowship again. And, and fellowship means this, it's the sharing, participation, it's the willing contribution, it's communion, it's partnership. Um, when I grew up, I grew up going to church, and if you grew up going to church, sometimes the fellowship was like a hall where you ate casseroles and you did potluck. You know, you went to the fellowship hall. It was a place where you have fellowship hour. It's like you gather and it could be like an event, but really fellowship is relationship and a certain type. It's a high-level commitment that you have. It's a partnership. There's a loyalty. 
And God wants to have that with us. And when you understand fellowship and the fact that God is not distant, but he loves us, it's remarkable. The living God, the almighty one, the one who has not sinned, who is holy, but also loving and faithful, wants to know you and me. He wants to have a partnership with us. And because of that, we can have a partnership with each other because we're linked together by this almighty, holy, loving, faithful God. But life doesn't feel like this a lot. Sometimes our fellowship with God, it feels distant. We want the partnership, but it feels like maybe we show up and he doesn't, or he shows up and we don't, and we can distance ourselves. And then that distance oftentimes leads to distance in our relationships. And so the importance of talking about sin is a lot of times the cause of why things are disrupted. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, you've decided to confess your sin, and confession of sin is just, I'm a sinner, I've messed up. Now, most people don't have to be convinced of that, right? Would you say, like, most people aren't saying, you know what, you just need to prove that I'm a sinner. Most of us know, because we live with real people, (laughs) and we know them, and they know us, and we mess up a lot. And so we don't have to be convinced of sin, for the most part. We we know that that we've done that, we've committed that. So when you decide to follow Christ, you actually confess your sin and you, you're agreeing with what is already known. You're living in reality. I'm a sinner. And because of that, my life's messed up. And then the loving God, who's faithful and holy, forgives you of your sin, made possible because of what Christ has done. Again, him coming to earth to die for our sin on the cross and then rising again, conquering death. That the consequence of sin, he took on so we would not have to. So we don't have to be convinced of our sin, but the effects of sin continue. The allure of sin, even if you're a follower of Christ, um, I would be lying and sinning if I told you that once you become a Christian, that like life just comes together. It's like somebody snaps their finger and all of a sudden like life is perfect. Is that true? No. And is it real? Definitely not. In fact, in some ways life gets harder. Sometimes the cost is greater because of the life that you choose. It's like the narrow path that you walk on. So the effects of sin, the consequences of sin are are still real even if you experience forgiveness. And so what I'm talking about today is not the effects of the sin that we've done and we've confessed. It's really the effects of sin that that we continue to struggle with. And you'll continue to struggle with sin until you die. Now, there'll be areas of your life where maybe you have some victories where you've seen, man, I've grown in that area. And then there'll be other areas of your life where it's like, man, I still struggle with that. And that's true of my life. There's still things where I'm like, I still deal with that sin. And I could look back and I could see like, man, I've been dealing with that for decades. And I could look at my, my family. I'm like, they struggle with that same thing. And sometimes sin is generational. It goes on. But with God, there's always hope. And so wherever you are, no matter the sin that, that you struggle with, and it's okay that you do because we all do, I don't want you to be filled today with, with guilt or shame. Anytime you talk about sin, uh, the enemy wants to do two, two things. The enemy is, is Satan, the father of lies. But one of the lies is, actually, you're, you're okay. You don't need to worry about this sin issue. You're okay. And we can get into the area of pride. Like, that's not me, and I don't struggle. That's one extreme. The other extreme is I'm the worst person that's ever lived, and I'm the scum of the earth. And how could God love me, and how could anyone want to do anything to do with me? And it's, it's the, the guilt and the shame. And either one of those, whether it's the arrogance or the guilt and shame, those actually lead us into really dark places. 
And so if, if you feel any of those, just ask God for help in the middle of what we're talking about. Say, God, you know me. If there's sin that I need to confess that I'm not confessed, will you show me? And can it be specific? Because oftentimes, sometimes we just have this, like, this, null, this dull feeling of something. And sometimes God could be trying to speak to us, but other times it could just be there's some guilt and shame that you have to work through. Depending on your upbringing, that might be some area that you've really had to battle through the years. And so before I you know, read the scriptures, let, let's pray together that God will do what he wants to do this morning. God, we welcome you here. We thank you that although we talk about sin and we understand it and we feel it and we commit it and we know it, we serve a God that has conquered it and you are all powerful and you sent your son Jesus so that we would not have to bear under the shadow any longer that we can come into the light. We can experience life as you have designed it. And so I just pray against pride and arrogance this morning. I pray against shame and despair and discouragement. And I ask that as we read your word, we will see the freedom that comes from you and you alone. We ask that you speak. In the name of your powerful son, we pray. Amen. So let's dig in. I read verse four. Let's continue uh, in verse five through 10. And it says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in dark darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Keep going there. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then it goes on to chapter two. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the appropriation of our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the what? The whole world. So you see this, this and I, I read that, that whole section, you can see this ongoing theme and this topic of sin. It comes in every aspect of just the verses that are connected to each other. And then in chapter two, you see the summary of what that leads to is this is not just talking about an issue that is a certain population of the world, maybe those that are really struggling, maybe those in certain places. It's talking about the whole entire world has a problem that Jesus Christ can solve for you and for me and for everyone. And what I want to do is I want to break down uh, this passage and get specific on, on what it means. And like I mentioned last week, John is a, a, he's a straight shooter, if you will. Uh, this book starts with no introduction, no greeting. He just digs in. Here's the issue. Here's the truth. Here's what you need to do about it. And then with sin, here's what sin is. Here's how it grows. Here's what you need to do about it. Here's the light. Here's how you escape it. Here's what you need to do about it. So sometimes if you read John, it just seems like he's just got his gloves on and he's just giving you a little right and a little left. And then he's like peppering you with the body shots, right? You ever feel like that? Someone's like, whoa, whoa, like let's ease into it. But, but John, he, he goes right to it. The reason is he doesn't want us to be deceived. And I mentioned this last week in this time during the church as it's just getting started, very vulnerable, lots of new Christians trying to figure out what it means to follow God. And as this is happening, there are people that are false teachers 
that are deceivers and they're coming into this group, this community that's building this fellowship and they're saying things that are not true. They're saying things about what it means to be spiritual. Really, you can just kind of do whatever you want. The, the physical body, it's dead anyways, but just try to find God in a spiritual, mystical sense. And so people were just kind of giving in to their impulses. And so they were defining spirituality in a different way. And it was leading to, to sin among the members and these deceivers were really gaining rank in the church. And so John's, uh, we don't have time to mess around. We don't have time to set things up. I just need to tell you the truth and then pray that, that God works as you hear it. So as you read John, know that, that the stakes are very high and they're very high for us. Really what he's describing is the difference between life and death, eternal life and eternal death. Those that connect with God, confess their sins, receive that forgiveness and will enjoy that fellowship forever and those that don't. But it's also describing a life and death that we experience on this earth, the real life that can come from living life God's way. And many times you can be a Christian and you think it's a one-time experience where you, you decide to follow Christ and then you just do whatever you want. And so John's saying, no, you, you can't do whatever you want. You've been given forgiveness, but you now have freedom to live a different type of life. And, and he describes that. And so I wanna kind of define the first passage of ideal conditions uh, for walking in darkness. Now, if, if you're younger and you read the scriptures, this isn't the idea of like, well, great, I just do this because the Bible told me to do this. No, it's saying like, if you're doing this, you're in the dark. You don't want to be in the dark. One of the things that we talk about in our family always, and it's really reflected in this passage is, you don't wanna be in the dark. There's just time to just come into the light. And as you're a kid, you ever do something that you know, your parents don't know about and you hope no one knows about. But my mom always had this uncanny ability to know when I wasn't telling the truth. My mom would always know if I hadn't washed my hands before a meal. And I think that's why we held hands and said grace before one. It was like a little hand wash check. Now I'm older, she was very wise. She is very wise, right? She's like, did you wash your hands? Yes. And then she'd always know to ask it at least two or three more times. Did you? Yes. Did you know I didn't? I'll go wash them right now. I'm so sorry, you know. But what, what John is saying is, is listen, um, these conditions, if you do them, you will be in the darkness. So he's defining it very clearly so you can know. You can look around and say, well, am I in the dark? Am I in the light? Just like at Universal Studios. Is this real? Or do I have glasses on that I'm not quite seeing what's really going on? John's saying, like, let me let you behind the scenes. And notice the conditions of the passage. It's always this reaping and sowing, choices and consequences, cause and effects. If you do this, then this will happen. If you do that, then that will happen. If you, we live in a time where people have forgotten that we live in a cause and effect universe. Your decisions matter, my decisions matter. It actually makes life very meaningful. That's what John's saying. If you do this, there's no freebies. Your life counts. There'll be consequences. And so he's talking about this environment in which sin thrives. Now, I wanna start with probably one of the greatest misconceptions, but also the greatest marketing campaigns that have existed in our times. And this came out in 2003. You ever seen this, uh, this image? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Now, we're actually pretty close to Vegas. You could drive there. Wouldn't take too long. There's something about this marketing which is brilliant. You know Why? Because we actually like an idea of being able to do something without consequences. 
And the Las Vegas Tourism and Council thought, you know what, if we could create that, and we have a lot of places where you could get in a lot of trouble if you choose to do so. And if we can create this, this mystique that you could come here, and magically, when you cross the state line, when you see the state line hotels with those roller coasters that you think is Vegas and it never is, when you cross that, right, you know what I'm saying? When you cross that and you think like, wow, it's like everything was just washed away like it didn't happen. If you do that, then, then people will do even things that, that they never ever thought they should do. And this image couldn't be further from the truth. And so I, I did some Google searches and some memes on this, and it was crazy, and most of them weren't appropriate to share in church. But the reality of, like, if you get pregnant in Vegas, you're still pregnant when you come home, you know, like all sorts of things like that, and that, that's true. Um, but notice what the, the, the people behind this idea, like the, the, the Las Vegas tourism, this is what they had to, to say about this, this slogan. It says, despite initial pushback from those who thought the idea might be too exploitative, but what happens here stays here slogan remains popular because of the message it sends to potential visitors. The slogan deliberately communicates freedom. Very interesting. When you come to Las Vegas, you can do anything and be anything you want to be. You can spend the money you work so hard to save. You can have the extra drink you normally decline after dinner. You can talk to the attractive stranger at the bar and dance on top of the bar because no matter the end result, no one at home has to know. I think this was also maybe, you know, 2003, like the iPhone was not yet really popular. Because <laughs> I'm thinking if you're dancing on top of a bar, there are all iPhones are coming out, right? But there's something about this which speaks to us. And she's actually describing this, Lauren Wallet is describing the human condition. Freedom. Freedom to do whatever you want to do and be whoever you want to be. That's actually the anthem of our day. Be whoever you want to be. Define it. Define your reality. The hard thing is, though, is if that's not true, like if you can't just make a decision and it has no impact, then it's not true. And then if it's not true, then it's not real. And that's what we're finding in our culture. People who are moving towards freedom only to realize they're going to the depths of the dungeon and getting chained up. That's what's happening. And this is what happens in Vegas is a microcosm of our whole culture. We can do whatever we want as we just are lowered down into the dungeon. John's just saying, like, listen, let's get real. Let's get real with sin. And so I want to talk about uh, a few of the categories of, of sin that, that he describes. And the first is, is deception. Sin always really begins with this idea of deception. This happened in the beginning of time. The snake, the serpent, Satan deceived Adam and Eve. And how did he do it? Well, it was through deception. It wasn't telling the truth. It was marring God's commands and saying, well, there's another way. He was trying to deceive them. And oftentimes that offer is always freedom. And that was the offer he gave them. Surely you'd need to know just like what God knows, this knowledge that exists. So this offer of freedom, again, led to their slavery. And there's three types of deception that, that John describes. And I, I'm going to go through this quickly. The first is a duplicity. This is one of the ideal conditions. In verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Notice, 
the reality. Live out the what? Live out the truth. True versus real, right? We're gonna live this out. But if you claim to have this truth, but then you're in the darkness, what you claim and what you do are two different things. And we become deceived. And duplicity usually happens because our talk, what we say, and our walk, they, they don't match. And so we have to kind of cover. And it's a deception strategy to fool other people. Uh, for those of you that, that know my story, this was the story of me really later in high school, in the beginning of college. I got very good at knowing what to say, how to say it, but really to get what I wanted. And I lived a duplicitous life. And it wasn't real. And it was a burden on me to keep up the pretense of seeming like I had my life all together. And God in his grace let me see that if I lived a duplicitous life, if I lived this way, I would have an emptiness that would last for the remainder of my life. And he warned me in my dorm room when I was 17 years old. And from that moment on, God got my attention. I thought, I don't want to be a fake person. I don't want to live false. I want to live your way. And I began to change some things. But I was deceived by thinking I could fake it. This is what John's saying. If, if you have fellowship, if you claim this, but you're in the darkness, you're in a dungeon by yourself. You don't have fellowship. You're all alone. And you're not living out the truth. So that part, it should get our attention. Like, oh, wow, do I do that? And then the second part of deception is delusion. And this is verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see again that the cause, state, cause and effect statement. And it's usually the truth versus the lie. The freedom versus the bondage or the slavery. You're, you're seeing it again. If we say we, we have no sin, the idea of if we, we have it all together. Again, how we appear, what we, we claim before people. And that's why humility is such a value in Scripture. Because if you, you have humility and you recognize your position before God, God lifts you up. But if you have arrogance and act like you have it all together, actually, life brings you down. And oftentimes, God will out of love. Because if you're, if you're arrogant, you, the sin grows. That truth is, is not in. And then the, the third type of deception is denial. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. Again, I don't think this is speaking specifically if, if we just say we've never sinned, but it's the idea of like when we have sinned and we act like we have not. Like real time, relating to people. Real time, relating to God. The fellowship that's supposed to happen. If we're sinning, and then we act like we didn't. This denial causes the fellowship to erode, the fellowship to, to break down. And so this deception, whether it's being duplicitous or the denial, uh, this really begins to carry a burden on us. And what happens with this, this burden, this deception, is the self-delusion, the disagreement with God, it, it begins to grow and we begin to get into a, a dark place. Now, if you've ever tried to fake it from people or if you've ever just tried to live like two different lives, uh, it actually is exhausting because you're always trying to check what you've said. And you're trying to check like, who have I said what to what people and who knows what's really going on and who doesn't and, and it can just be a spinning maze and you, you can get so dizzy in it. And that leads to the second ideal condition that, that John describes. Not only is it deception, but this is so true and big part of the problem, it's, it's isolation. Isolation comes from verse seven. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, 
cleanses us from all sin. So now you see the light allows the fellowship to grow. And that makes sense. Can you connect with people? You've ever invited somebody over? And you're like, you know what would make this dessert great with all of you? Let's turn off all the lights so we can't see anything. And let's hang out together. Wouldn't that be amazing? What do you think the person would do that came over? What kind of a sick and twisted family is this, right? Like, in fact, we once had a family over and the power went out in our house. We're just about to have dessert and coffee. And the whole power came out and they had like little kids. And so what did we do? Did we just say, you know what, guys? I think this will be fun. Let's just all get in a circle and hold hands until the power comes back on. No, what did we do? We went and got flashlights. We got candles. We, in the darkness, you, you, you got to get the light. Because you can't relate with people in the dark. It doesn't work. Eventually, the power came back on, and we were able to restore the hanging out, and the, the fellowship continued. But in the dark, when you're in the dark and you're deceived, the fellowship that we have with one another, it, it begins to dissipate. And partnership with each other and with God, sin makes that very difficult. Uh, the reason is, when I sin... And when you sin, it's actually hard to face people that, that love us, especially if there's this dark, what happens in Vegas only stays there area of our life. Because what God does in our conscience, he's made us in his image. We know that there's this area now that we're, we're not quite real with what's going on. And that kind of disrupts the fellowship that we have with people. And when you sin... Uh, you're trying to hide. And if you try to hide, do you really want to be with people for a long time? Not usually. Because what if they see things? What if they know things? And so as we're deceived, we try to hide the sin, and as we try to hide the sin, that leads to isolation. You guys see this? When I say see this, I mean, do you feel this in your heart and know that that's true? Right? We, we know it. There's something in us most of the time in my life, like when I'm struggling or when I've even done something and I've been harsh uh, with, my, with my wife or I've gotten a fight with the kids, oftentimes Sunday morning we talk about it, it's like a battleground. Like talking about fellowship and it's like the family's falling apart. And oftentimes that, I think Satan does that to kind of prevent us from coming because there's something like when feel, things feel like they're unraveling, like you don't want to face people. Proverbs 18.1 says this, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. What's the desire? To keep doing what you want to do. He breaks out against all sound judgment. If you're trying to hide, you don't want people to see. If you don't want people to see, then you isolate. What the scripture's saying is that that actually breaks out about all that's good for you. It's hard to make progress if, if you, you isolate. And so not only we're deceived and we're struggling with those different facets of deception, but then that deception leads to isolation. And so what John is, is describing is this is no way to live. This is life in the darkness. Now, if I were to pray here and then say, you know what, guys? Enjoy your Super Bowl. It's terrible. He's like, well, that brought us down really low. It's kind of depressing. It's discouraging because we know what's in our hearts. But what John does through explaining the goodness of Christ, he then switches and he talks about the ideal conditions for walking in the light. This is the best news that we could have. We understand the darkness because we see it in our world, we see it in our hearts. But what John does is saying, you don't stay there. 
Even if you're there, you don't have to stay there. Even if you've been there, you don't have to go back. And this is where John kind of switches and and talks about the fact that Jesus is real and alive. We can walk in the light because of this reality. When I was in, in high school, I didn't know it yet, but I worked through this book of 1 John. And I think what God was doing over time was actually giving me truth that I was going to need to wrestle with for a long time for it to become real. But I, as I read 1 John chapter 1 and chapter 2, God really began to change my life. Not in my action, but in giving me just this dissonance where he began to say that, you know, Alex, that, that's you. That's who you are. The mirror just kept shining on my light. I kept looking at it. I didn't like what I saw, and I just looked away. And then I'd look again, and I didn't like what I saw, and I, I looked away. And through time and many pain and a lot of confession, a lot of change in my life, I began to change. But what God did with this book of 1 John, it really changed my life. And I wouldn't be here if it weren't for this, this picture of the darkness and the light and God telling me, choose where you're going to live. I mean, it's saying, like, I don't want to be in the darkness. And things begin to change. And so what I want to talk about is a key value that we have here at, at Ridgeview. This is one of our hard attitudes, hard attitude number two. Live an honest and open life before others. The key for walking in the light is you have to be open and honest first with God. He knows where you are. Tell him where you are. Agree with him. He already knows. If you think about that, isn't that amazing? God already knows where you are. He already knows every dark thing you've ever done. Everything. But he still wants a relationship with you and he still wants a relationship with me. That's amazing. And so to live an honest, open life, it begins with, God, like, I'm a sinner. I'm caught in this. I'm in this dark place. I want to confess this where I am and, and I ask for your help. And John describes what happens. But this value, if you can go back to uh, that, that previous slide, this value is, is key uh, to our church. You can put that up there, hard attitude, live an honest, open life before others. This is key to not playing games. We don't want to play games with God. We want it to be true and real. And we don't want to play games with each other. Sometimes the church can be the most divisive, most uh, place where sin grows, isn't that crazy to think? Well, you read the scriptures, you see this is true because of all the warnings. But then you also can look around. And thankfully, in, in our church, because of these values and because of by the grace of God, like which is God, help us to be open and honest, help us to deal with the realities of sin in our own life, and help us to have real relationships. Like we don't want to play games. And so this is this is really, really important. And so one of the ways you do that, the ideal condition is, is through confession. And I'm going to move through this uh, pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, confession uh, means that, that we agree. We, we agree with, with really what, what's going on. We agree with where we are. We agree with our situation. Verse 9, it says, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now see the picture, the idea of the darkness and the dirty. And then what does God do? Or does it? He, he, he cleanses us. There's this washing. We're made clean. You come into the light. You can experience life as it should be. Now, if God already knows our sin, and if you're a Christian, you've been forgiven of that sin, then, then why, why confess it? 
Well, it's speaking the truth. And that's what's so important. Again, the darkness is filled with lies and the light is truth. And so when you confess, you're saying, this is truth. This is who I am. This is what I've done. And I confess. Now, depending on what you, how you've grown up, even your religious experience, the idea of confession, you're like, oh, goodness, here we go again, because there's lots of ideas about what confession is. And so I just want to talk really about confession and the idea of agreeing in truth. It's like shining a big mag light. Remember those mag light flashlights that weighed like 10 pounds? You guys know what I'm talking about? And you turn that on and it just blinds everyone in the room. It's that kind of thing. But instead of us not being able to see, it actually shines light so we can see like we've never seen before. That's what confession is. And so I want to just briefly just describe how to confess sin to God. Uh, First is aim for daily. You confess directly to God. The scriptures say you you don't need to go to anyone else. Now, there may be times that you need to confess to others, and I'll I'll talk about that in a a moment. But it begins, open and honesty begins with God. And so just aim for uh, for daily. So if if you sin, you don't have to analyze it or justify it or even beat yourself up over it over a certain amount of time. When you sin, confess it. God, I just sinned right there. What I said, what I did, will you forgive me for that? Confess it as soon as it happens. It's funny, like daily, it it could be like hourly. That might be better. Aim for hourly. Maybe half day to start. But if it's like me, man, it just stacks up. It just stacks up because of, of my own heart. So aim, aim for, for daily. You just confess it. God, I, I sin. And God shows you sin sometimes. You may not even realize it. And as God shows you the sin, confess it. So confess daily. Ask for clarity. Uh, usually, this is just, God, if there's an area of my life where I've sinned, will, will you show me? If there's something I'm not seeing, will you shine light on it? His word does that a lot. That's why reading God's word is so important on your own. Because he speaks to you and the truth comes and the light shines on your life. And you can see things. And as you see things, uh, ask for clarity and, and confess it. Uh, agree with him. Once he brings the clarity, uh, agree it was wrong. Anger, lying, laziness, lust, pride, whatever it is, name the sin and confess it. God, what I just did was, was anger and harsh to that person. Will you forgive me? And then ask for forgiveness to them as well because you've sinned against them. So agree and then ask for, for next steps. Uh, what's something I need to do? What's something that I need to, to change in God's word? He, he directs us in that. And then thank him. This is so important. Uh, the gratitude is like just this, this ambiance that keeps the light flowing. It's this warmth. You know, thank him for the forgiveness. Thank you that even though you've sinned, he doesn't hold it against you. He, he loves you. And he forgives you. So this is how you, you confess um, for me, this is a battle. Again, it's easy for me to justify my behavior, my decisions. Sometimes there's things that are going on in my head that people don't know about, and I'm just mulling on why I did that or where that came from, and oftentimes there's just a battle going on, like am I gonna admit that I messed up and I admit that I'm sinning? And so just ask God for help as you do this. I have a mentor that says just have a short account with God. The idea is like don't let too long go. Again, you don't have to play games. God already knows. Just, you know, confess it. Now, this helps as you, you know, take a step in, into, the, into the light. But there's times when, because of isolation, because of just the battle that, that you may need to sin, you, sorry, you, may, you don't ever need to sin. 
I misspoke there. But there's times when you do sin that you, you may need to confess. Certainly, if you sin against somebody, that's when you need to confess to them because you've sinned against them and you have to ask for forgiveness. The scriptures, there's just many scriptures that talk about that. But there's times where you may be battling something where you need to confess just so you have somebody that knows the truth that's going on with you. You get the difference? The idea is you, times the, the fellowship needs to help you. Like you feel alone and you're in the dungeon and nobody knows you're in the dungeon. I don't know about you, but if one of you are in the dungeon, I wanna come help you get out of the dungeon because I love you. But if you're in the dungeon and no one knows it, you don't know there's a problem. Sometimes there's just times you need to confess, like I'm in the dungeon, I'm struggling, I'm in the dark, will you come and help me? And they're gonna come with their flashlight and the light will begin to shine. And as you confess, it will help. And so here's how to just confess sin to others. Choose wisely, uh, choose a trusted person. Uh, if, if you're in a group here at Ridgeview, if you're on a team here at Ridgeview, if, if there's leaders that are over you, one of the best things you can do is just ask for help from a leader. Because part of their role is to love you and lead you. And if they know what's going on in your life, they, they can help you. And so that's a wise choice, always a wise choice. Now, in my life, there's certain people that I want to tell what's going on, and there's certain people I don't. You know what I mean? And oftentimes, the people that I don't want to tell are the very people I need to. You know what I mean? You guys know what I'm saying, right? Like, that person may actually challenge me and speak truth to me. That person is just going to say that they love me. It's like, do I talk to mom or I talk to dad? Now, in your life, that could be different. When your experience, it could be like neither. But the idea is we all know who we want to talk to based on the response we hope we get. I want to encourage you. Sometimes you need to choose to confess to the very person that you know will help you because God's placed them in your life to do so. Now, I'm not talking about priestly confession. You don't receive forgiveness through confessing it to somebody else. I'm talking about a darkness issue. There's just times where we need people that help rally us out of the dungeon. And so choose wisely Commit, the committing is like, hey, can I talk to you about something? You've, you've taken a step, you've brought it up. And then name the sin, you know, I'm struggling with this. Will you pray for me? Just name it. You don't need to justify it, you don't need to explain it, just, just name it. And then ask, ask for prayer, will you pray for me? I'm struggling with this. And I just wanna bring this out in the light. I just ask that you just pray for me. Most of the time, we want to hide in the darkness, and again, that leads to the isolation. But you know, in my life, whenever I've confessed things, and somebody that has wisdom, and somebody that's growing, and somebody that I know loves me, and they care for me, you know what happens about 99% of the time? They say something like, you know what, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've struggled with that same thing. What's happening is light is permeating the darkness. And they pray for me. And then I'm lifted because I'm not hiding People know what's going on. Now, living honest and open life is one of our values. That doesn't mean transparency. The difference of transparency is you just tell everything that you've ever done to everybody. That's the kind of church that freaks people out. There's some things like we don't want to know, right? But it is the idea of like there's certain people that need to know certain things based on what I'm going through. So notice just the difference. 
The deception of sin is we think it is freedom and it leads to isolation. But the promise of forgiveness and confession is that we actually experience the freedom. But there's such a battle because we think that somehow if we stay in the dungeon, the freedom will grow, but it never grows because you're chained. You have to come out. And as you confess, you can come out. The final thing, and I'm just going to end with this, is, is accountability. Uh, accountability is what can I do in my life to shore up some areas where I sin a lot? And I'm just going to name this generally, but one of the, the greatest areas of sin that we struggle with is the internet. I'm just going to shoot straight with you. The internet is a huge cause of sin, and it's where the darkness grows, and nobody needs to know about it. And so I want to encourage you, if this is an area of sin for you, you don't have to stay in the darkness. Uh, I recommend you can even get software that can help be part of the accountability. I use a covenant ice. That's from Scripture. Like, I made a covenant with my eyes to not lust on a woman. And the idea is, like, there's some accountability that needs to be in place where I can just be prevented from maybe the easiness of going into the darkness. And that's what accountability is. It's what can you do on the front end to prevent you from getting into sin. Back in the day, uh, you had to use to just find sin. You had to go to it in a lot of ways. Now, it's in your pocket. It's at your house. It's come to you, and it's come to me. And so accountability is like, I, I need to shore some things up. I encourage you, if you're married, you need to have conversations about how you do that in your marriage to protect it, put boundaries in place. If you're single, I encourage you to have some accountability so there's boundaries in place so that people know the choices you're making, specifically even in, in dating that, that helps. And so accountability is how do you prevent at times from the sin growing or happening? And then I wanna end with 1 John 2. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the appropriation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This, this is the promise. We can come into the light. I don't know how many times this past week I've just had to stop and just thank God for this reality. The fact that we do not have to stay in the dungeon, but we can be in the light and we can be free because of what Christ has done. So next steps this morning uh, just ask God to show you any unconfessed sin. Confess it and walk in the light. And come back next week and invite somebody. If this is real and we're talking about the opportunity to fellowship with God and partner with him to escape the dungeon, isn't it important that as many people hear about this as possible? This is true and it's real. So think of people that you can invite. If you're struggling with something, take a step today. Confess it to God. Get some help. Here at Ridgeview, we, we want to help you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is not just instructive, but it challenges. It shines light on what's real. It calls us forward. It convicts not to discourage us or belittle us to take away our meaning, but to actually give purpose to us. 
God, thank you for Christ who has given us a freedom that was paid once and for all through his sacrifice on the cross. We lift him up because our own deeds, our own lives do not measure up to his perfect life. And so God, we thank you that we're not the measure of our holiness, but you are. And you sent your son to bridge when we fail to make it possible to bridge back to you. As we sing and as we close out this service and even as we get ready for the Super Bowl and go about all of our different activities, God, help us to just be reminded that we don't have to live in the darkness. We can be in the light. In the name of your precious son, Jesus, who makes it possible, amen.